Well, as always, it's good to be here to open the Word of God up to you tonight. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. I'll probably preach on this text uh, next time as well, but we're going to be looking tonight at Habakkuk uh, chapter 3 and verses 16 to 19. It'd be good if we could read the whole book, but uh, time does not permit it. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege, as always, to gather together as your people. We thank you that we can gather more of us uh, now than before. And we pray that by your grace, you would continue to help us to meet more of us uh, together in person. And I would pray, Lord, that as we look into your word uh, tonight and the topic before us, that you would uh, bless us by your spirit, that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word. We confess that by our own willpower we can do nothing, but by your spirit working through us and in us, uh, you can accomplish great things in and through us. And so we pray for that, Lord. We pray that you would open up our eyes, spiritually speaking, that you would open up our ears, spiritually speaking, and that we would uh, hear you speaking to us through your word this evening. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I thought we would use uh, this uh, text before us in Habakkuk to discuss the topic of Christian joy. Christian joy. Now, Christian joy is a big topic, and if you were to break it in half, you could say there are those things that kill our joy. And there are the things that give us Christian joy. So there is the negative and there is the positive. Just uh, like as if you were trying to get into uh, better shape or trying to adopt a healthier lifestyle, there would be the things that you should stop doing or not do, eating lots of donuts and things like that. And then there's the things that you should do, like eating healthy, exercising, and those types of things. Well, tonight my focus is going to be on the negative, okay? Things that tend to kill Christian joy. Uh, and then hopefully, by God's grace, next time we'll talk about the positive side of Christian joy using this same text. Now, the reason I chose uh, this particular text here in Habakkuk chapter 3 is, first of all, because it's one of my favorites. And second... Because the entire book, the entire book of Habakkuk, 
provides an incredible backstory. It provides a great context, which of course ends with Habakkuk's incredible cry of faith in verses 18 and 19. He says, yet, despite all those bad things happening, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And it is the context here. It is the context of Habakkuk's time which makes his cry of faith and his joy so remarkable. Now, as you know, Habakkuk was a prophet in one of the worst periods, one of the worst periods in all of Israel's history. Now, Israel had a number of bad times, but this would have been one of the worst. And of course, that was around 600 BC, 600 BC. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah had already fallen once to the Babylonian Empire. And shortly after Habakkuk's ministry ended, that was when Judah was completely destroyed by the Babylonians, which then began the 70 years of captivity. It was was desperate. It was desperate times in Judah. And not just politically and militarily, but it was also bad times spiritually speaking, as well. In fact, Habakkuk begins his writing here in chapter 1 with a complaint, with a complaint over what he perceived as God's indifference to the abundance of wickedness which was prevalent in both Judah and in the surrounding Gentile nations. Then in the verses that follow through chapter 1 and into chapter 2 and 3, God explains to Habakkuk how he will use the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar to punish Judah for her unfaithfulness, to punish God's people for their unfaithfulness. But not only that, but that God will also punish the Babylonians for their wickedness. That's the context. That is the backstory to Habakkuk's incredible cry of faith here at the end of the book. Now, as we consider the dire circumstances and situation that Habakkuk and his kinsfolk faced in the southern kingdom, we should rightly be impressed with Habakkuk's incredibly strong faith and testimony. We should be impressed by that. But as we consider that, we must ask ourselves, is this unusual? Is this an unusual or abnormal testimony or act of faith? Should we be considering Habakkuk as a super believer or a super Christian who possessed a faith and subsequent joy that is unattainable for us, you know, run-of-the-mill believers? And the answer to that is a resounding no. No. This is not the testimony of a super-believer or an abnormal believer, but rather the testimony of a spiritually healthy believer. Every one of us, every one of us who professes faith in Jesus Christ 
should be able to testify, as Habakkuk does here, in equally dire circumstances. The Apostle Paul exhorts the exact same thing in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, when he wrote, Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord always! Not some of the time, not once in a while. Rejoice in the Lord always! I will say it again, rejoice. That is a universal exhortation. So what I'd like to talk about tonight, and again, Lord willing, next time, is simply why aren't we? Why aren't we? Why is Habakkuk's cry of faith and unbridled hope and joy not typical of us? Of believers here at Bath Road Baptist Church, of believers in Kingston, of believers in Ontario, and of believers in Canada at large. Why aren't we all like Habakkuk? Why is it that a relatively small thing like COVID is causing such rifts and discouragement amongst God's people? Even before COVID, there wasn't the same joy and exuberance as Habakkuk displays here. Where is our joy? Where is our joy? You know, if we had the same joy, that same unbridled hope and perspective as Habakkuk does, we would never need to discuss outreach programs. We wouldn't need to discuss evangelistic strategies or apologetics because anybody, anybody that interacted with us would want to know our secret. We want to know the foundation of our joy and hope. Evangelism would happen. It just happened. It happened naturally. So I ask again, where is our joy? Where is my joy, personally? You know, although I can relate to Habakkuk here to a degree, to a degree, uh, I confess that I'm not on the same plane as he is. Not even close. Not even close. It's actually shameful how quickly my joy or a good chunk of it can evaporate when circumstances turn against me and I have never been in a circumstance like Habakkuk was here in the context and I don't think that this is some rare or uncommon problem for believers and of course we know it's not isolated to the Old Testament In fact, joy is a topic that was frequently addressed in the New Testament. I've already quoted the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.4, but it was also a regular topic of the Apostle John. And of course, we know in the New Testament that joy is described as one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So you see, the fact is, is that joy is to be one of the unconditional experiences of the believer. Unconditional experiences of the believer. So in order to address this issue of joy, or potentially lack thereof, I think it's best to discuss some of the things that can rob us of our joy, or can kill joy, and then later on I'll address the things, the the positive side to that. And the reason why we should look at those things that can kill us of our joy is quite simply to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Now there are, I believe, two general 
categories, two general or broad categories that we can lump all causes of killjoy into. And those are worldly killjoys and spiritual killjoys. And there's two worldly killjoys that I'm going to discuss, and then there's going to be four spiritual killjoys that I'm going to discuss, and that is not an exhaustive list. There's many things that, uh, again, we just don't have time to talk about, but would also be included in those two categories. So I'm going to talk about worldly reasons that kill our joy first, and then we'll talk about spiritual ones. Now the first one, the first category that can kill us of our joy, is what we might call mental health-related issues or illnesses or predispositions. The fact is, is that there are people who have a natural predisposition to depression or anxiety or other related mental health illness. And the fact is, is that those things don't tend to go away after a person is converted. After a person is converted. And believers who struggle with these conditions can really lose a lot of their joy when they're going through a bout of depression or anxiety. And believers who fall into this category are no less faithful than those who do not. You see, the fact is is that God made human beings as body and soul. That's what we are. We are body and soul. And so when the physical body suffers, whether it be the mind or some other part of the body, it is, in a way, inevitable that the body suffers as well, or that the spirit suffers, or the soul suffers, sorry, as well. Body and soul are connected in a mysterious way, a very mysterious way, And you cannot isolate one from the other, except, of course, through death. And we know that spiritual issues, the opposite is true, right? Spiritual issues can sometimes lead to physical issues. You will remember how David, King David, in the 32nd Psalm, talks about his bones wasting away while he held off or put off repenting of his sin. So physical issues can affect us spiritually, and spiritual issues can affect us physically. So if you do struggle with something like depression or other mental health illness, the obvious question is, what should be done about it? What should be done to regain your joy? And usually the answer to that is not a spiritual one. Sometimes folks that struggle with depression think that it's a a big spiritual issue, when in fact, oftentimes, it's a physical one. And sometimes it can be something like medication or good Christian counseling that can fix the problem. Now, I admit that that is a great uh, oversimplification of what is often a very complicated issue. But I simply want us to recognize that physical issues, and again, not just mental health-related issues, but any physical issues can have spiritual impacts on things like joy. And when that's the case, oftentimes the solution is not a spiritual one, but actually a physical one. 
Now, the second worldly reason for a thing that can kill us of our joy are personality differences or the emotional characteristics of individual believers. It is a basic fact that some people are naturally born or predisposed to joy or happiness or optimism, whereas other people, like myself, are born pessimists. I was born a pessimist. We see the cup as always being half empty, half empty. But the fact is, is that when God touches our hearts and when he grants us repentance unto life, we don't change entirely who we are. We're not given new personalities or emotional makeups. Now, having said that, that does not mean it is okay for someone like me to keep on being a pessimist. That's not okay. As believers, we are called to be optimists, and for very good reasons, we've been saved. Our sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. God works out all things for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. We get to spend eternity with Him. That's a good reason to be optimistic. There's no reason for pessimism there. But I still have, and likely always will have, that natural bent towards being a pessimist. It's my natural makeup. When God saves us, again, he doesn't change every facet of our personality and emotional makeup. So because of that, there are simply some people who are more just naturally predisposed to joy than others, and there are those like myself who have to work on it, who have to work on it. I have to fight against the natural way in which I am wired. So those are two. Those are two worldly reasons that can impact our joy. And again, there are more than that, but just two that I'm bringing to your attention. Now, what about spiritual causes? What are spiritual causes for killing joy or for a lack of joy? Well, the first is a big one, and that is bad theology. Bad theology. Bad doctrine will always, 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 always be a joy killer. Specifically, specifically, a failure to truly understand, to truly understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, that we are saved by grace. And the second doctrine that we need to be well grounded in or our joy will evaporate is the sovereignty of God. If we are not well grounded in the fact that we are saved entirely by the work of Jesus Christ, then our joy will collapse. It will collapse. We contribute nothing, absolutely nothing to our salvation. It is all of Christ from start to end. That is the rock, the very rock, the very foundation on which biblical joy rests. As soon as you wander into workspace salvation, whether that be adding works to gain or maintain or to prove your salvation, your joy will it'll evaporate. It'll be gone in no time. And that's because the only thing you'll find inside your works, when you look closely enough, is filthy rags. And your assurance will disappear and take your joy with it. The second doctrine I mentioned, and again, there's more than that, But the sovereignty of God is also critical for joy. Now notice what Habakkuk says. 
He says right in verse 13, or verse 19, sorry, the sovereign Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Let's not forget the context. Much of Habakkuk's rejoicing here is in the revelation that God is sovereign over the movement of the nations, even the heathen ones. The reason why the Apostle Paul can exhort the Philippian believers to rejoice always, and he's speaking to each individual Philippian, is because he knows, regardless of what individual circumstances they are in, that God works out all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. That is the promise that goes to all believers. Those truths are foundational. They are foundational truths in the creation and in the maintenance of joy. So, of course, the solution here, if we are um, struggling with joy and our theology is bad, is to get into the scriptures. It is to get into the word of God and to get into good, meaty Christian books. Listen to good sermons. Know, love, and embrace the deep truths of our faith, of our faith and joy will follow suit. The second spiritual cause for a lack of joy, in one word, sin. Sin. Now we know, of course we all know that we struggle with sin, and we will continue to war and struggle with sin until we die, until God takes us to glory. So don't over-interpret what I'm saying here. If the presence of any sin in the believer erase joy, then none of us would ever experience joy. It would be an impossibility. What I mean by sin, being a killjoy, is sin that has remained unchecked. Sin that has remained unchecked. Sin that has not been repented of. Sin that has been allowed to take root in our hearts and allowed to grow. That is the type of sin I'm talking about. And it doesn't matter what the specific sin is, any sin that is unrepented of and allowed to grow in our hearts will kill joy. Joy, as I mentioned, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And that means a couple things. That means a couple things. And the Spirit is not going to allow us. The Holy Spirit is not going to allow us the great privilege of having joy in the Lord, in rejoicing in the Lord, while we are secretly rejoicing in sin. It's not going to have it. And again, the solution is a relatively easy one, provided we commit ourselves to doing it, and that is to examine yourself. Test yourself, and if you find sin lurking in there, you must repent and cut it out. And until you do, joy will be elusive. The third spiritual cause for a lack of joy is satanic forces. Satan is real. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he knows everything I've just said. He knows everything I've just said. If you have mental health problems, if you're prone to depression, if you're a natural pessimist, or if you are weak theologically, or if you are vulnerable to a specific sin or sins, He knows that. He knows that. Probably better than you know that. And he will exploit that vulnerability to the absolute maximum. He masquerades as an angel of light, and he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
But we know this. We do know this. We're not unaware of his schemes. Satan, in a manner of speaking, is bound by God's sovereignty and by God's providence. So if we are diligent, if we are prayerful, and if we shore up our vulnerabilities, it really leaves limited areas by which he can exploit. Honestly, the influence of Satan in our lives is a tricky one. It's a tricky one because we don't, I mean, we don't see him. It's not overtly obvious. And it's very difficult to distinguish between his influences and the influence of something else, like the world or indwelling sin. It's a tricky one, but we need to be aware of it. This is not a perfect illustration, but if you think of a person as a ship, Satan, does, Satan doesn't necessarily have the power to run around and poke holes in our hulls. But if there are holes there already, he can most certainly work on making them bigger and sinking us faster. The final spiritual cause for a lack of joy that I'll bring to your attention tonight, it's a bit of a weird one, and it might even sound a little bit heretical, but it isn't. And that is the providence of God. The providence of God. Now what do I mean by that? Well, it is a simple fact that there are times or periods in our walk with the Lord which by His infinite wisdom and for our ultimate good, He leads us through periods of spiritual dryness. Spiritual dryness. The fact is is that revival is a thing because spiritual dryness is a thing. Just as there are times when the fruit of the harvest is abundant, there are times when the harvest is poor. Joy is the same. There are times when our joy will wane for none of the reasons that I've mentioned and for reasons that God alone ultimately knows. Now, not only do we know this experientially, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, but we also know it doctrinally. We also see it doctrinally. In the book of Acts, you'll remember that Stephen was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit as he testified about the Lord Jesus Christ, as he proclaimed the gospel and then died for it and was stoned to death for his testimony. But you see, the the scriptures make a distinction there. They make a distinction between being filled with the Spirit and being indwelt or possessing the Spirit. And they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. There is a difference there theologically, which manifests itself experientially. All of us possess the Spirit as believers through His indwelling, but we aren't necessarily always filled with the Spirit. Now, does that mean that if we are struggling, if we are struggling with a lack of joy, that we just throw our hands up? God's providence. Nothing I can do about it. God's providence. Well, of course not. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. No, what we do is we cry out as the psalmist cried out, Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? That prayer should be one that is on our lips daily. Daily. And especially, especially so during periods of spiritual dryness or low levels of joy. Now the final thing I'll mention tonight kind of fits maybe more in the next uh, message 
But we need to get into the practice of talking to ourselves. We need to get into the practice of talking to ourselves. Now, it seems a little weird. But Psalm 42 provides such a great lesson here about Christian joy. Psalm 42 is the psalmist talking to himself. That's what he's doing. He's talking to himself. And the first thing he does is he asks himself, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? That's a man who is struggling with joy. And then he answers himself, and he does it by speaking truth to himself. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, there's a twofold benefit there. First, by talking to ourselves, it's a great diagnostic tool. Oftentimes as we do that, we we find the root cause or root problem uh, that we have. And once we find that, we can then speak truth to ourselves to overcome that problem. And that, of course, is the second benefit. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, our desire as believers is to have that same cry of faith as Habakkuk. We want to be able to cry as Habakkuk did and testify as he did, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's Habakkuk talking to himself, by the way. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Now, will that be our experience every single minute of our lives as we walk with the Lord? No, it will not. No, it will not. There will be times, for all the reasons I've mentioned, that we find ourselves in the valley. But this shouldn't be a rare event either. This should not be an uncommon event. What we want And what we should and must vigorously seek after God for is for this to be our normal. For this to be our typical Christian experience and faith as we navigate through this life that God has so graciously given to us. Let's pray together.